I'll read that verse as you're turning to 1 Corinthians one more time just so that it's fresh in your mind because it's what we're asking God to do for us as students of his word in 119 of Psalm verse 18. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. We're continuing again tonight and every day of our lives as Christians to ask God to open our eyes further to the truth of God's word. More wisdom, more discernment, more understanding of the truth of his word. And so far we have uh, explored what God's word with proper perspective looks like. We've used three characteristics, two characteristics so far. The third will be tonight. The first Wednesday night was the sufficiency of scripture, the sufficiency of scripture, that the Bible is everything that you need. It is sufficient. It is the proper diet of the Christian. It is what you need uh, to this morning, the necessity of scripture. We explored exactly what it is we need um, to understand the need of scripture. The need of God's word is for us to understand what human nature needs, what uh, human race is truly at the root of who we are, the Adamic nature. We talked about all of that this morning, the necessity of scripture. And when I put myself in the proper perspective of who God is and who I am, there in the middle lies the dire need of not only a savior, but how do I know what I need? How do I know what a sinner is? How do I know the characteristics of God? That's all found in the scripture, the necessity of scripture. Tonight, we want to take on the authority and with the authority, the inerrancy of scripture. So thirdly, the authority and the inerrancy of scripture. There are four total in this viewing God's word with proper perspective that give us that perspective, uh, the sufficiency, the necessity tonight, the authority and inerrancy. Really, the inerrancy is part of the authority, but it is such a descriptive subset of what this authority is. It goes hand in hand. The last that we will try our best uh, to do as quickly as possible to keep this fresh in our hearts is the clarity of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture. That will be the fourth and the final message in this viewing God's Word with proper perspective. This is all one message that we've just spread out over a couple of weeks. Authentic Christianity, uh, I'll be honest with you, I never intended for this to go this long. This was supposed to be two weeks, three weeks at the most. Uh, but God keeps burdening my heart uh, to continue in this, that uh, we would understand our faith even better. And so there are a few more places we want to go in this authentic Christianity. And I think the reason God has put this on our heart is the results that we're having. The people that I've had come up to me in the past two weeks to say, I was so unsure about this one certain thing. And through God's word, the past couple of weeks, that answer has been given. My heart is at peace. There have been people saved. God's word stands alone on its own. It's a powerful, powerful force. And I'm thankful for this study that God's given us. The authority tonight of scripture, the inerrancy of scripture. The authority of scripture, we will define that as this. Uh, the authority of scripture 
is defined as all the words in the Bible, all the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or to disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. Let me say that again. To disbelieve or to disobey anything in your Bible is to disbelieve or to uh, disobey God himself. These are God's words. This is the authority of Scripture. These are not the words of the Apostle Paul who is giving that in his authority. We'll talk about that in a moment. These are not the words of even King David, the psalmist. He is not writing in the capacity of his authority. What we have in our lap tonight or on our phone or tablet, or if you're watching online tonight on your screen, the words that you see are from God's word and it is God's word. That is the authority of scripture. That's how we can be sure of what is in God's word. That's why we can believe it. That's why we do not question it because it comes from God. Now that's the authority of scripture. Now let's give that a little more context and definition in the inerrancy of scripture. I hope you're a note taker and hopefully by the time we're through with authentic Christianity, you've gone through six or seven pens and a notebook. I love taking notes. Uh, I have to type notes. If my handwriting was good enough, like Miss Margaret Skiles, I would write them. But then I would never be able to see what exactly it is I wrote. So I have to type my notes. I'm a typer. I love to type, to take notes, my phone, my tablet, my computer. But let's, as we take these notes, as we study God's Word together, there's such uh, rich goodness for us in this text. The inerrancy of Scripture, that is to be said of this, we define that as embracing Scripture in the original manuscripts. That's very, very important. In the original manuscripts does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. Take that definition in. We're talking about God's Word. Embracing Scripture in the original manuscript it does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. What does that mean? It means this, that the Bible is completely, totally, absolutely, without question, true. And that there is not one doubt, one fear, one hint of deceit, not one lie. There's not a falsehood, a mistake, an error, or a misrepresentation of the truth within its pages. That is is a powerful definition of what's in your lap tonight. That's why you can be so sure of your Bible. These are the words of God. It is his authority on these pages, not the Baptist church, not even of King James, not of the people who wrote the scripture by the power and the investment that the Holy Spirit was making in their life to write these scriptures. But this is by the authority of God. And because it comes from God, it is absolutely inerrant. There is nothing wrong with your Bible. There is no error in your Bible. I was reading a mass publicated book 
thousands and hundreds of thousands of copies of this one specific book. It's a secular book. And I was reading through the pages and I found multiple, multiple errors, grammatic errors that I would catch, Miss Margaret, might I add. They have to be pretty bad for me to catch them. Spelling errors of simple words. And and I, I got to thinking and processing that this author had paid hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to have this book published and to have it put into print. And yet it was full of these simple errors and it, it almost made the book not worth reading. I, I don't know what came over me, but I expected a little more in the book. And I got to thinking my Bible, thank the Lord, there is no error in that book. I never have to worry about finding a mistake or an error in my Bible. That's how powerful uh, the authority and the inerrancy of your Bible truly is. We've said this multiple times, but we need to really drive home this fact that the Bible is our supreme text. I love the word supreme because there's not a whole lot you can put above something that's supreme. The supreme text, the chief text, the principal text, and it is the ultimate authority of our faith. I am your pastor. I am the chief under shepherd. I I love you. I will preach. I will do all that I can. But at the end of the day, I'm not the authority. God's word is the authority. Uh, Thank God for that. You don't have to put your faith, hope, and trust in Winston Parish. That would get you nowhere fast. But you can put your faith, hope, and trust in your Bible. That's why it's so important as Christians that we don't keep our eyes on each other, but that we keep our eyes on Jesus, who is the chief shepherd, the, uh, the God in whom we believe and whom we put our faith and our trust. That is the real authority, and it's why the Bible is the supreme text. Um, There are many people that say things that are contrary to what we find in God's word that maybe even sound right to our ears. It may even satisfy some sort of longing that we have for justification of a sin or if there's something in the Bible that we have a hard time rubbing up against or it's really giving us a a, a sensation that It makes me uncomfortable. Sometimes you will find someone who will tell you exactly what you want to hear. That is not the authority you need in your life. The authority that you need in your life is found in God's word. That's why it's so important when I stand behind this pulpit, this sacred desk as your pastor, that I must preach the word of God and not my opinion or not my perception. The first day that I show up and I don't open my Bible and I preach something else, you can get Miranda, she'll take me outside, y'all dig a real big hole and I'll see you later. That's how I feel about it. It's very, very important that we preach the word of God. This is the supreme text. And anyone that's worth their salt who is a teacher or a pastor or a preacher will preach the word of God. It is the supreme text in our life. Now, there's two things I want to very quickly tear apart because it's important for us to understand this so we can have the correct perspective of God's word. I want to talk about something that is subjective and something that is objective. Subjective versus objective. Subjective usually means it's most commonly understood to be something that is based on personal perspective. Subjective is usually meant as personal 
perspective or preferences of the individual. Subjective, my preference. You may ride a roller coaster and love it. And you are so excited about it, you'll post about it on Instagram and Facebook. I won't even get near the roller coaster because my experience with roller coasters are not good. Subjectively, my opinion is very different than those who will ride it 10 or 12 times. I'll get on the biggest or the smallest airplane that I can possibly get on and ride it until it runs out of gas. But I want nothing to do with a roller coaster. I have my own perception, my own opinion, and I don't want nothing to do with it. It goes back to Pastor Nathan and no cheese on his hamburger. I don't understand it. That's a subjective thing. Everybody likes their hamburger different. That's subjective. It's perception. It's desire. It's your own personal understanding of something or even your preference of something. Subjective. Now, in contrast to subjective is Objective And objective most commonly means not influenced by bias or personal viewpoint based on analysis of an object or an observation. In other words, objective takes out the personal preference, the personal understanding, and objectively, this is what it is. It's reality. It's free of anything else, of any powdered sugar or coating. It's just the way it is. It's objective. The Bible is objective even though it is personal. Stay with me here because it will really help you. The Bible, even though it is a personal relationship that you need with your Savior, even though it is a personal walk with God that you need in your Bible, the Bible and our interaction with Scripture is purely objective even though it has a personal attribute, that you have a personal connection to Scripture. It applies to the individual, but it remains objective because it is the word of God. And it is the Holy Spirit of God that gives us the understanding from what we read in his word. That's how it's objective. Now, there'll always be certain elements of your faith, and yes, even your scripture reading, that are subjective. But in principle, the word of God is completely objective. It is free from any sort of manipulation by an outside source. Praise the Lord. There's not a Democrat, a Republican, an Independent, a Supreme Court. There's nobody that can influence with their own power or their own perspective what God's Word actually says and actually means. There's not a whole lot in this world that you can say that about. But you can say that about your Bible, that it is objectively true every single time. Even though I get to subjectively partake personally. Amen. Hallelujah. That's the Bible. Praise the Lord. It is objective because it is the word of God. That does something for me. I got up in my kitchen, Brother Darren, and I shouted when I realized what the Bible was saying. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and you'll see what I'm talking about here. I pray that this is a blessing to you tonight as we understand what it means to have the proper perspective, the authority, the inerrancy of God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 will start in verse number 10, we'll go all the way to verse number 16. But God hath revealed them unto us 
by his spirit. You got to pay really close attention to these verses, highlight, underline, especially where you see by his spirit. I would highlight or circle that by his spirit. For the spirit, there it is again, searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Hmm. The deep things of God. Let's continue. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man. There's your objectivity. I'll read it again. This is verse number 11. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the objectivity that this Bible is immune to any sort of outside manipulation. Praise the Lord. But the Spirit of God. So, let's go to verse number 12 and we'll finish this thought. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is, what? Of God. That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Let's continue. Verse number 13. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. My goodness. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But here it is. We have the mind of of Christ. God himself is the authority of his word. His spirit is the authority which reveals the truth of what's on the pages into your heart. You cannot hide God's word in your heart because you do not have access on your own to your heart. You have access to the carnal flesh of your spirit, the, the other side of the saved man. That's who you are. The indwellment of the Holy Spirit, it takes the Holy Spirit to teach the man what he needs to know about the Bible. That's how it's objective. No matter what I want to think about the Bible, the Bible's clear. The Holy Spirit of God will teach me what is here in Scripture, and he then will hide it in my heart. That's why it is so important that with your Bible reading, there is a lifestyle of prayer, that you are in communion with God, that you are communicating with God, that you are keeping a clear and clean conversation conscience, sanctified, free from sin, so that the Holy Spirit of God, as you read the word, has the authority to go into your heart and hide the truth of God's word to sustain you and give you exactly what you need. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that is authority. That's authority to be able not only to give you the faith, but to give you the ability to believe, to give you the faith and the grace to believe. It's objective. And I want to go back to that thought that God gives us the faith to believe the word, but he also equips us to understand the word. That has to happen, listen now, 
after salvation. That has to happen after salvation. The Holy Spirit of God has to be living on the inside of you for this to take place. You can argue with that until you're blue in the face, but it does not change what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit of God has to regenerate the broken nature of man for man to be able to be a proper sponge to take in what is in God's word through and by the teacher, according to his word, the Holy Spirit. This is a work of the Holy Spirit in your life as you read the Bible and as you understand. That's why I have such issue with people who give people like us a bad rap for using the King James Bible. Number one, leave me alone. I love my King James Bible. Number two, don't tell me that people can't understand it. They can understand it when they read it and the Holy Spirit of God does the work in their heart and hides it deep in their heart. Praise the Lord for the Bible and that it's not up to my wisdom and my understanding that God will give me exactly what I need when I need it from my text. Praise the Lord. That's authority, ladies and gentlemen. And that's powerful. I so love this study. It gives us such an understanding of what God has for us in his word. I want to back up with that thought about God not only giving you the faith to believe it, but equipping you to believe it, to act it out, to live it out. Uh, Ephesians 2.8 is a very familiar verse, but I want to point something out to you here. For by grace are ye saved through faith. Okay, we know that part. Here's the most important part of that. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, we hear the grace and we instantly take the grace and attach it to the gift. I submit to you that not only is the grace part of the gift, but the faith is part of God's gift to man. That he would give you and part unto you faith to believe. Praise the Lord. It takes a lot of things out of my hands that I have no control over and puts a whole lot of perspective on the power and the authority of God in my life. Somebody in this Baptist church say, amen. Praise the Lord. God has the authority over his word and the authority over our saved lives to do great and mighty things. And that's why that verse in Psalms 119 is so important. Open my eyes so that I may behold the wonders of thy word. The older you get, the more life you live, the uh, more consistent you stay in your walk of faith, in your Bible reading and in your praying the more God will open your eyes. Part of the definition in my heart of what someone who lives a holy lifestyle, I always go in my mind to our founding pastor, my great grandfather, he was such a holy man. Part of his walk of faith was that when a J.C. Penney, now stay with me on this, when a J.C. Penney catalog would come to the house, he would get that catalog and he would say, Mama, fix the catalog before it comes in the house. And my Nana would take that thing in the kitchen and she'd get her a pair of scissors and everywhere there was a 
advertisement for uh, undergarments or lingerie, Nana would cut that out and put it in the trash. Because Poppy so believed in holiness that he never wanted to stand in a pulpit and look out and have an image in the devil's quiver to attack his mind. He wanted to stay so true and so holy and so close to God that when God whispered, he was able to hear. That's the lifestyle of holiness that the word of God can give even you. Now, let's put that in 2021 terms. We're gonna deal with this at the first of the year. I'm still praying and asking God to show us exactly how to do it. But we're going to go through this walk of holiness, understanding what God wants of us and how we can have a more full life in holiness uh, but one thing that is destroying the consistency and the holiness of our young people and even, listen, adults in their 40s and 50s who have access to social media. It is an open market, an open whatever you want to call it that anyone has access to. There's no restriction on the content and it is a dangerous, dangerous place to just simply live or surf or to spend hours. And to take the average amount of time that people in this country are spending on social media and then to understand what's actually happening on social media, it is alarming. And if we're going to be clean and holy, sanctified, separated from sin, there needs to be some what the world would call radical safeguards or radical lifestyle changes that the Christian must wholeheartedly embrace. And before you say that I'm against social media, number one, I have social media accounts. Number two, this church uses every service, social media, to get the gospel message of Jesus Christ out. I'm not saying that social media should be kept completely out of our lives. It's a wonderful tool. It's a way to connect. What I am saying is that if we're going to allow the Holy Spirit of God, his rightful place in our hearts, part of this is that we have to be clean before God. We can't jam pack a dirty vessel that's full of filth and muck, full of the word of God and expect anything to happen. We must be separated from the world, clean and holy before God, so that we can come as empty vessels to be filled up with the grace and the goodness of what's in God's word. That the Holy Spirit has a chance to do his work in your heart. But if you're so fixed on the things of this world, and it may not be social media, it's very difficult for you to keep that walk of faith and consistency. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's up to God to do that work in our lives. Now, let's go back really quick to uh, 1 Corinthians 2. Let's go back to verse 12 and to verse 13. I wanna make sure we get this out. Verse 12 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. Amen that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So Paul is saying, we've received the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is revealing to us the things that are given to us freely of God and from God. And then he goes on, which things also we speak, 
So Paul's saying those things that God is revealing to us, those things that God is working in our lives, we're speaking about it. We're preaching about it. We're telling our friends and family about it. But look what he says as the qualifier on what gives him the authority to preach it and to say it. Not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth. Not in my words, not in my wisdom, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Paul is saying this new spirit that lives on the inside of me, the spirit of God, which things we also speak, we don't do it in our own wisdom. We don't even do it in our own words. He's saying even when I speak about it, when I preach about it, it's not in my capability. It's not in my power. The Holy Ghost is the one who teaches. This is great authority. This is great power. That not only would God give you the word and the authority of his word, but the authority of the Holy Spirit to do great and mighty things through the word. And the authority tonight, the authority this morning, the authority Wednesday night and every time I've ever stood behind this pulpit is not of my own capacity. This is not me coming up with something fun to waste some time on Sunday and Wednesday. This is because the, the authority of the Holy Spirit of God is working when I read scripture, praying, seeking God's face about what is to be preached behind this pulpit. It's not up to me, it's up to God. He owns this property. He owns this pulpit. He owns the service. He owns me and he owns my mouth. I am nothing more than a vessel for him to use. I cannot stand here tonight in my own authority. I refuse to. I wouldn't want to. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 is my life verse. It's the verse for our church in 2022. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. I am simply a servant by the authority of the Holy Spirit of God preaching his word, which he claims authority on. I don't have to give it a qualifier. I don't have to lift it up. I don't have to manipulate it. I can simply preach the word of God because the Holy Spirit of God called me to preach his authoritative word. That's powerful. Praise the Lord. God's word has authority and his spirit has the authority to back it up. That's why I can hold a Bible like I did this morning from 1634, 387 years ago. And the same authority and the same truth that was in that time with that Bible is the same authority and the same truth that we're holding in our laps tonight. Praise God for the authority of God's word. I don't have to be scared. I don't have to be worried. I don't have to be afraid. Yes, the world's falling apart. Yes, things are crazy outside. Yes, what that red, white, and blue flag means is changing every day. But one thing that will not change is the authority of God's word or the authority of the Holy Spirit. It's true, true, true every single day. That's something to take to the bank. And my Lord in heaven, I'm passionate about it. I love the word of God. I love things that are real. I have to have real. I cannot stand the thought of a tofu-ficken burger. What in the world is tofu doing on your hamburger? Eat a piece of chicken. 
or put, bless God, a patty of beef upon thy bun and enjoy it. I don't want fake. I want something that's real, that's gonna hold me and sustain me. And my spiritual man so needs this word. They got fake hot dogs now, Brother Allen. Fake hot dogs. It's like dog food. I didn't mean to get off on that. Whoa now. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why it's important. That's why it's vital. And I say this with all humility and with the fear of the Lord. That's why it matters who your pastor is. That's why it matters. This transition, what God's done here, I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole if it was not the work of the Lord. If this wasn't God's will, if this was just, oh, Ralph's grandson is available and, oh, isn't that nice? And, oh, we love the heritage. If that's all it was, I would be at home tonight or somewhere else preaching where God wanted me. I so embrace the responsibility of what God has put on our heart to preach the word. But the moment a pastor stands behind the pulpit and it becomes more about his personality, his presence, his hair gel, his tennis shoes, how good he looks on TV, that's when it's time to run as fast as you can in the other direction because there's no authority. I'm desperate for the authority of the Holy Spirit of God that is rooted in his word, anchored in his word that I don't have to mess with. You don't have to put your faith, hope, and trust in your pastor. You can put it on the authority of God's word and pray for your pastor to preach in truth, to preach in power, and to preach with the authority of the Holy Spirit of God from the Bible. That's what we need at Trinity Baptist Church. And Paul knew this is a powerful, powerful chapter. But Paul knew that it was not in his authority. He knew. Paul knew exactly who he was. You think about the way Paul talks about himself. Think about Paul's burden in Acts chapter 9 where he talks about, I wish that if I could, this is the words of Paul, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's the essence of what he said. Paul said this, I so am burdened over my kinsmen. He was talking about the Jew. He called them the Jew, my kinsmen according to the flesh. He said, I'm so burdened for them. I'm so ashamed of what I did and who I was. I'm so burdened for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, that if I could, and then he qualifies this whole statement. Paul says, if I could, the Holy Spirit bearing in me as a witness in other words, he's saying this as the Holy Spirit of God is inspecting his motivations and his intentions. And he says, I lie not. The Holy Spirit of God bearing in me a witness. In other words, the Holy Spirit was allowing him to be affirmed in how he felt. That if he could, for his brethren, according to the flesh, that he could, that he would be accursed from Christ so that they could be saved. That's how Paul thought of himself. Paul so knew that he was who he was and he had done what he had done that he was saying, I am so convinced that it's not in my authority or what I can do for my people that if God would allow me to experience the wrath of God and die and go to hell, I would. That's what he said. 
that he would become part of a sacrifice for the Jew. And obviously that's not what God's plan was for him. Tonight we read the letters, the epistles that he wrote. But Paul knew it was not in his authority. And tonight, and every time you've ever heard Pastor Ralph Sexton preach, it's not in our authority. Pastor Nathan, as he preaches tonight to our teenagers, it's not in his authority. I'm nothing more than a plate to serve a meal that God designs. He designs the menu, God harvests the ingredients, and he skillfully masters the divine dish for hungry souls who are looking for sustenance. That's what the authority of God's word is. That I'm simply a vessel. So how do we have this proper perspective in the authority of God's word? There's three very quick things. The authority in God's word, it commands our lives. Number one, it commands our lives. It's everything that we need. We've talked about that over and over again. But number one, the authority of God's word commands our lives. Number two, in authority, God's word defines my relationship. It's the ultimate definition. It's the ultimate guide for my relationship. Not only my relationship with God, but my relationship with other Christians and then my relationship to the world that's lost and dying. The Bible is the authority on those relationships. And so much of what the faith that we have in our heart that God's given us, so much of that is intertwined in relationships. And then lastly, in authority, God's word requires obedience. God's word requires obedience. It's one thing for you to sit here tonight and hear the message and take notes and listen to the preached word of God and read the scriptures. It's another for you to apply it to your life and to be obedient to what God's word says. Jesus, I've said it multiple times in the past few weeks, but Jesus made it clear. If you love me, obey my commandments. Simply obey. That's the authority of God's word. That's the authority of what Jesus Christ said. If you love Jesus, obey his commandments. Where are his commandments? In his word. What did the psalmist say? Open my eyes so that I may behold the wonders of thy word. It all works together. Jesus did not say that and set you up for failure. Jesus said that setting you up to be successful in obedience to God's word. That's authority and it's great great power. Now, as we finish this out, here's the authority, the qualifiers of that authority that it commands our lives, defines our relationships, and that it truly requires obedience. But there's a problem, and it's a problem that we have to identify in ourselves and ask God to help us with, and that's that human nature, stay with me, human nature is naturally enraged against authority. Naturally, we hate authority. It's just who we are. You say, I'm not really sure if I agree with that. Let me help you understand something. Have you ever seen a two-year-old who wanted something that you did not give that two-year-old that something or that you took something out of their hand like a screwdriver right before they put it in the light socket and they lose their mind? 
an emotional explosion. They flip out, they throw a tantrum, they lay on the ground. I would have never done that as a child. But all of those things that they do, can I tell you what that simply is? That's their spirit, their nature, even at two years old, that hates authority. Man does not want to be told what to do. And until you come to a place where you say, God, I submit myself, I surrender myself as a living sacrifice to be obedient to you because I don't want to go against anything that's in your authority. I want to be right with you and I want to obey you. But the human nature so goes against that. And even at a young age, we can teach children, we can show children through correction how that works. I thank God for a parent that when I became rebellious in spirit or I bucked up against authority, that I found out that I was wrong. And I found out usually very quickly. Sometimes I had to wait till 5 p.m. when my dad came home. That was the worst type of authority figure to come home and remind you. But thank God I had parents willing to look at me in the eye and say, you are wrong, I'm the boss, not you. Now you're gonna be corrected. That's exactly what human nature needs. And may I submit to you, even adults, it's in our nature. You say, I've been saved for 30 years. You still wake up every day with flesh attached to your bones. It's a war. It's a struggle. And part of the proper perspective and understanding of God's word is us saying, you know what? I surrender to your authority. I know I have no business watching that show in my home. I surrender to your authority. Father, I know you, you do not want me to spend this money going to that much more debt. I surrender to your will, your authority, your guidance in my life. That's what it looks like as an adult. But a lot of us adults still have a really tough time submitting ourselves to the authority of God's word and who God is. Don't you love this Bible? Don't you love this study? The authority, the inerrancy of God's word. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for your authority. We thank you that you are alone in your authority. You don't share your throne with any man or any other power or any other God. You're holy, you're mighty, you're powerful in all that you say and all that you do. You've always been, you always will be. And Father, we submit ourselves again to the authority of your word. Father, just as our Jewish brothers and sisters put the little hat upon their heads to remember that God is always above them. Father, help us tonight to embrace our Bibles over our head, in our hearts, to be the controlling authority of our lives. Father, we thank you for the authority of the Word and the authority of the Holy Spirit, the faith that the Holy Spirit of God gives us deep in our heart to believe, to understand, and for the Holy Ghost that teaches our hearts the principles of your word. We rest in the comfort tonight of your holy inspired word and the authority on which it stands. We worship you as a group of people. We worship you collectively. We worship you individually tonight. We thank you for all that we've experienced here today. We praise your holy name for the two salvations the past two weeks, God, where you have radically changed a life for eternity. We praise your holy name. Be with us this week. God, as we go into a Thanksgiving season, I pray that you would touch us and keep us. Lord, for those who have a broken heart, I pray that you would draw close to them and comfort them. 
In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen and amen.